I'm B. And I'm B. And, and this, this is Homestead Happenings. Happenings. Where every week we bring you along on our journey to self-sufficiency. And bring you exclusive interviews on all things Homestead from people around the world. So hit subscribe and follow along with us. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's go. I'm V, and today we are here with Lisa from Yogi Hollow Farm, and this is going to be the other part of small homesteads and making the most of the small acreages, which honestly, we are still considered small for a lot of people because we have five acres, but to even more people, they think five acres is a huge amount of land. So I'm not sure where you fall. You'll have to go ahead and comment over in our Facebook group, Homestead Happenings with VB, and let me know your opinion on that. I will post that question in the description of this episode. So thank you so much for being here. And why don't we just start with you telling us about you and how you got started with the homesteading or if it's been lifelong. Thanks so much for having us today. We've been really honored to be invited to come on your show. So thank you. Um, so I'm Lisa and, you know, we moved to South Dakota in January, 2020. And as we all know, life kind of changed, uh, shortly after that. And we got scared. We, we honestly became very concerned about shortages and things that were going on. And now we always wanted to do a homestead, but we just never lived in a location that would work for us. Uh, you know, we let life get in the way and so on. So fast forward to 2020, I decided that we had some buildings on the property that would accommodate some chickens and so we did some work on that and that's where we started and we took control of our food supply by doing that and we actually I know you said you have five acres we only have two and so two acres is a lot of land people don't realize that they think it's tiny and you can't do anything with it for us we see the opposite two acres is enough for abundance, if that makes sense. I love that. And we'll kind of dive into that here for a second. It's all about perspective, right? I think to myself sometimes, man, I wish we had 10, 20, 85, 100, you know? But then at some point, it's like, what do you need? Because, you know, if you just want to raise goats, they don't need 100 acres. And they don't, you know, so all about perspective. So I guess for everybody who's listening and they can only afford because like, let's not get started on the housing crisis, right? So they can only afford a half acre, one acre, two acres. That's why these episodes are so important to showcase. You absolutely can do a ton of things like, for example, livestock. What do you think realistically is not an option on two acres? A cow. Yeah. It's it's not it, it's so it's not fair to a cow. They need sufficient land, and you have to think about parasite loads on the property. I don't have goats. Um, we have kuni kuni pigs, but we do have five pigs, um, and so. 
the key is, and it's funny because I have this on my list that I think is super important to talk about is you can have small land and people sometimes think small land is easier because it's less to do. It's actually more to do on a small homestead. And what I mean by that is we have Cooney Cooney pigs and we have developed three pastures. They have pen areas as well. We then use net fencing to increase our grazing potential. But because we're in a drought, we often have to feed hay all year round. So that's more than most people. The other thing is we're in a cold climate. We're lucky to have parasite kill off in the winter, whereas some of the folks in the Southern states don't have that. So keeping the pastures clean, uh, manure free, I don't mean manure free like, you know, oh, they can't go to the bathroom, but manure free in the sense that when you have a smaller area, we rake it out two to three times a year to clean those pastures because we want them to stay healthy so they serve us and we want our animals healthy. I hope that makes sense. Yes, and you know, you mentioned Cooney Coonies repeatedly and that's another thing I'll touch on quickly. If you want pigs and you only have an acre or two i would highly recommend you don't go out and get an a whole a, like a, a hog a standard hog they're just even these red wattles that we have they will blow through that land they will root it to a mess and just dry lot that in a month and then you have nothing and they're so hard on it whereas the Coonies or um, American Guinea Hog, um, they're way easier, they root less, and they require a different diet and not as much of it. So would you agree that it would be a little unrealistic to have a full operation of full-size hogs when you only have an acre or two? Yes, agreed. Uh, we had two Mangalitsa, Jarok, and Berkshire crosses in 2021 that we raised for meat hogs uh, as a part of our pork production plan because we plan to switch to Cooney Coonies, which take longer. Mm-hmm. You can definitely have a couple feeder pigs, but do feeder know- pigs. I agree. I I meant oh, I should have I should have specified and said people want to breed, they want to have piglets, they want to make money. That's a crazy thing. I think. Well, I, I th- but I even think with feeder, feeder pigs, it's still challenging because they're going to be in an area that they're going to destroy. They're going to destroy mm-hmm. the fencing unless you put up really good fencing. We put up great fencing, a hog panel. They undermined it. They destroyed it. They destroyed a pasture. Um, don't get me wrong. When I say destroy, they did what their job is. They actually made the pasture more manageable but we're still struggling with the side effects of it here for our Cooney Cooney pigs to make it viable again. Right. Well, and the Cooney Cooney, you mentioned hay, you know, and, and they do great with that. You know, I can give hay to those red wattles and, you know, they just pretty much make a bed out of it. You know, that's not really their thing. Whereas a lot of people are able to feed the Cooney Coonies hay. And they're able to pasture them much easier. So, I will... You you said pasture and everything. So, is it safe to assume you have two acres of grassland? Or is any of that forested? 
the whole property is forested. We okay. are um, o- over 5,000, well, over 5,300 foot in elevation in South Dakota. And we have nothing but ponderosa pine trees. So ponderosa pine trees create a challenge for our breeding program. That's a whole other story. Um, I have to constantly pick up needles because if they're pregnant at certain stages of their pregnancy, it can cause abortions. Um, thankfully, we've been so on top of it. We've not had an issue. The other thing is, is the pasture part of it is our house is on one side of the property and that faces the back of the house faces the road. And the cool part is that the rest of the property is on a slope and there is a lot of grass. And so the bigger issue we have is we've been in drought since 2019 here in South Dakota. And so we'll have grass in the spring that's starting to come up just now. And then we will have it probably through June and we're feeding hay again. So really we're only getting about two months of the year on grass. Um, If we have a wet year, we would be able to feed more grass. And that's why we use the electric net fencing because we don't even lawn mow at this point. We just let the pigs go all over the property to get as much grass as they can. But that's a big consideration for you if you're taking on an animal and you have small land and not a lot of access to pastures that you can rotate on. So it's an expense where most people would not have to feed hay all year round. We have to, for the most part. Well, and another thing to consider too, you know, when you have only a, you know, a smaller acreage, you're able to move the pigs around and things like that. So that works, but it goes by your overall goals too. I mean, I know they're not your only livestock, so then the other livestock need room too. And then, of course, your house is part of those, you know, the acreage there. And your driveway is part of that. And sometimes people don't consider that when they're considering the number of animals they're going to get. They're looking at, well, I have this many acres, but not deducting every time they have something. Because what other livestock do you raise? And then you also, do you have a garden, an orchard? So, yeah, you raise a really good point about considering the driveway and so on and so forth. And another thing that I want to add to that is, you know, if you're getting a Cooney Cooney pig, they need a companion. They're social creatures. That's how they operate. Mm -hmm. They are herd animals. You can't just have one. Um, I had one when I first got Sherman, who's our boar. And I can tell you that I thought he was happy when he was by himself. However, when I finally got another boar to go in there with him, I noticed a huge difference. It was almost like he was depressed, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because he really didn't do much. Now that he's got a, a buddy in there, the dynamic is so much better. Um, so we learned that the hard way. But we have gardens. We don't have an orchard, um, and that's just because the local nursery here says, don't waste my time with an orchard. Um, so... What we do is we do have gardens. We have a small greenhouse, which has really been our most successful way to actually grow food here uh, because we have a very, very short growing season. Uh, Last frost is usually first week in June and then anytime in September. Uh, So it's really short and a greenhouse has been the only way we've gotten tomatoes. So since you wanted to homestead and you do garden and things like that. 
Was there any specific reason that you chose to be in 4B? Well, that's where life brought us. You know, uh, life, life brought us here for a work opportunity for my husband. Um, he was out here in 2019 when we finally found this home. We fell in love with it. Yeah, and we love the area. And then, like I said, everything changed in 2020. And my mom had actually passed away from a long battle with Alzheimer's. And I just decided that I'm going to do this full time because that was more important than chasing the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, because of what happened in 2020 and your mom's passing, sorry for your loss, by the way. And thank you you falling in love with the place and all that, then I, I think I know the answer to the next question, but I'll ask anyway uh, for everybody listening. Is this the forever homestead? Is this, do you wish to expand or anything? We have been going back and forth for probably two years now <laughs> on whether we want more land or not. So, I guess I just want to preface it by saying that we grow all of our own meat here with the exception of beef and we get that locally. So we grow pheasants, we grow meat chickens, we breed our own turkeys, we grow our own pork. Um, and so really a larger homestead is not necessary for us because we don't have young children. We don't desire to have a dairy cow. Um, I threw around goats and I, I, I don't think they're for me. Um, if anything, I think I'd go with a larger pig herd, but I don't want to say it's our forever home because you never know what life will throw at you. Right. But the other thing here, and like you talked about briefly was the housing crisis and, you know, we are in a very touristy area and we can avoid tourists pretty easily but when we're home but it's very busy otherwise and so what that means for our area is house housing and land is very hard to come by here for a real price everything is very inflated right like people will look at you know the zoom values or the estimates uh yeah we're like triple them so that's a challenge for us so I say we don't plan to go anywhere, but you never know what life may bring. Yeah, and you know, I think that if you've already loved the house and you've done so much and you don't have a need or a desire for anything else, then it's that, uh, I was talking to a friend recently and it was it's like just being okay and being in that feeling of contentment with, you know, if I'm if I don't actually want to go out and do the milk cow all you know all year dealing with calves dealing with you know mastitis maybe or any of this stuff and you know cows are so large that you know you've got to have different kinds of trailers and certain kinds of vets and all these things then why have the land for them you know i think a lot of people have been watching things on youtube or you know the facebook groups and stuff and they get in to the romanticized dairy cow but then they bring them home you know and it's one two or three acres and it's a struggle 
Um, so I have seen an uptick in dairy sheep, um, as well as, of course, you know, the Nigerians and stuff like that, or the dairy goats. We have dairy goats personally. We did not go with dwarf. They were not for me. I didn't want to, I just don't want to deal with challenging fences. Um, I don't want them getting out and climbing on my car. I don't want to do any of that. Uh, we went with standard. They're fantastic. Uh, we just don't have any issues. They're excellent. Great size. Great temperament. Um, yeah, no, no complaints there. Glad we went with them. But if I was going to get something else, it would be a dairy sheep. I mean, the novelty of a dairy cow sounds great. But realistically, it's so much easier to manage um, a goat or a sheep. Now, I did see these people that were up there in the East Coast, and they're doing camels. Mm-hmm. That's definitely not for me. I was... No, not for me either. And the same thing with the goats. That was my other concern is, you know, I have one boar who, when he was younger, would like to escape. And thankfully, he's not made it off the property that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> but I do know that I was gone all day about an hour away doing the big city uh, shopping and came back and he was like a dog and ran up to the truck. So, you know, I, I, I really don't want to have animals all over the place um, or have it cause a problem for my neighbors. Um, chasing animals is not my thing. And the, the other thing with larger land is, you know, I'm in my 50s and you know, we have to look ahead to life as we age. I don't consider myself an old lady, but the reality of it is, is we're aging and it gets more challenging to do all the work. So we want to keep things manageable so that way we can sustain it. Yeah, that was going to be my next uh, question. And you mentioned that you have pheasants and I know everybody listening heard you have pheasants. So I know that they'll be real upset if I don't circle back to what kind of pheasants, how are you raising them? So we'll have to insert cut two into our interview here for you to educate us a little on these pheasants. Sure, sure, not a problem at all. My husband always wanted to raise pheasants because he really enjoyed them. He's a hunter. Um, so we went to our local farm store and bought uh, Chinese ringneck pheasants and they are the bird here and it's the state bird in South Dakota. So we bought them and I think we bought, uh, we ended up with 12 of them. And so they, they live in a brooder similar to a chicken with a heat lamp, except that they can't be on pine shavings at first because they will end up eating the pine shavings and starve to death because they become full and don't eat the food. So that was a, a challenging thing. But once they're out of the brooder, they then uh, go out into a flight pen. And the flight pen is large enough to accommodate them. I can't remember the square foot off the top of my head, but we do follow the square foot guidelines. And we follow the square foot guidelines for peepered pheasants. And what peepers are is um, a blinder that goes over their eyes. Because like when you buy a straight run of chicks, you don't know how many roosters you're getting. Same thing with pheasants. They're unsexed. If you end up with too many males, they can fight and they can turn uh, cannibalistic. We had no issues with that whatsoever. The peeper is equivalent of a pinch 
when you put them on them. So it's not inhumane. It's actually more humane to avoid the fighting. And so we had 12 of them in a very large enclosed flight pen that had all natural pine tree boughs in there, places for them to hide their food and water. And they were taken care of every day like chickens. And humanely, they were caught when they it was processing day with very little um, fanfare and stress because what we did was we caught them with a net mm-hmm. and put, put them in crates. So do you do all of your um, butchering on site? We have done all of the bird butchering, all of the poultry and game birds. We have not done a pig yet, but we do plan to do one in the future. Have you considered rabbits or quail? Yes and no. Um, I worry about the cages and the rat with the rabbits and quail with predators here. Hmm. And the cold winters that we have, I don't know how we would manage them. Uh, What I mean by that is we have a stock tank that we put out for the pigs. Everybody gets electric heaters, but we were as low with a wind chill of minus 50 this winter. And even with all the water heaters, I was out there with an ax breaking water up. So I worry about being able to keep them in fresh water during the winter time. Mm-hmm. Well, in that case, you know, the rabbits are more um, viable than quail in that situation because they can tolerate colder temperatures and gotcha. they can handle, uh, yeah, that's the benefit of wearing a fur coat. Um, so they, <laughs> there's also a lot of breeds similar like chickens, a lot of those, you know, lines Um, especially like if you were to get rabbits from somebody up in, you know, South Dakota, instead of having them transported, um, they're acclimated to the weather. Um, they can also go a longer period of time with out water. Like they should have water, obviously, but if the water were to freeze up on them, they don't, you know, just dehydrate and croak (laughs) nearly as quickly. Um, you know, so there's, there's that, but they are an excellent, uh, um, meat source. And, um, but there was one lady, um, I was talking to her in a Facebook group and I thought it was very interesting. She does a breeding trio and she colonies her rabbits, but she only has the three rabbits, right? So she has the small pins outside, but because she is in Canada and it gets so cold, she actually um, brings in just the two cages and they're in her, I think she said it was either her heated garage or her basement or something. But because they were in a colony, the girls can just be in one cage together because they're obviously not going to fight because they're always together. And then just the male. So it was no different than her just having a couple pet rabbits And then when, you know, so she was able to bring them in when it was like super extreme and then take them back out. I thought that was really creative because a lot of people, they just try to manage everything outside. And for her, she was like, no, I'm going to bring them in like pets. (laughs) And it it worked out. But she does it because, um, you know, the trail of rabbits will produce more meat than a steer in a year. So, so that's, that's what's helpful. But it's, you know, there's always those things. Now. 
I'm curious as to why they say no orchard or food forest in your area because um, I actually know quite a few up north and actually food forestry in the north is actually much, uh, you know, you have more options actually than people in the south. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting that they say that. Maybe they mean yeah. standard orchards. I'm not sure. Well, the the problem is is um, more years than not, the blossoms get frosted, and no fruit comes out. Yeah. So yeah, on a, on a standard orchard, you know that would make sense because they would be, you know, it would only be a few things, or they would only be in rows, and it would be hard to manage that. But I suppose I do know. There's a lot of people, and some of them will, some of them will be, you know, kind of extra. They'll run lights, they'll net them, this and that. But there's quite a few that are like 3B, 4A, and they've just really adapted into to get those super late bloomers. So that's that's pretty interesting. I know that you do YouTube, so I'll have to send you some of those videos. I saw they were pretty neat. Um, yeah, they they. Here's the thing, you know, I think it's all about what you want to put your energy into. Exactly. And so, and so if you have it available, like why, you know, if you've got, if right, you, if right. you got it. Now for me, on the other hand, I am, uh, we have a lot of like you picks and all that kind of stuff here. But for me, um, uh, in our age, age range, we really want to focus on having it here and um, that s- sustainability, not putting the money out, you know, to go to the UPIX or something like that. If I was older, maybe I would say differently. I'm not sure. But for now, I'm like, you know, we really want everything here, but it is abundantly around. So it's not like I'm just without, you know, if right. I didn't do it. That's that's our biggest thing is like we have been growing here since 2020 and it has just been the biggest challenge for us. We have always lived in areas with a cooler climate. We lived in you know North New England in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and I could take a packet of seeds, just scatter them, not even water them, and they would blossom and do amazing. That's not the case here, um, and. So this has really been a really hard learning curve for us growing here because 20 minutes in any direction from us, the elevation drops about two to 3,000 feet and it's, it's probably about 12 degrees hotter on average. So that's what's been a challenge for us. So one of the things that we have really committed to doing is growing what grows best and not wasting our time with other things because the first two years, all I did was waste my time on, I'm going to grow this. I'm going to grow this. We couldn't even get bell peppers to grow until last year. Oh. And we got our first bell peppers. Why? They were in a greenhouse. Same thing with tomatoes. We had tons of green tomatoes on the vine, early varieties. September, the middle of September came. They started to blush. We had 20 inches of snow. Oh, no. And they were all dead in the water. Even though we covered them, we tried to fight the frost, dead. <laughs> well, and you know, that's that has to be difficult, too, because you just, 
you want to grow the cool thing, you know, you just want to do it, which for us, our situation was different. You know, you moved in with a job and stuff. And for us, we were able to pick where we went. So I was excited because we're so much warmer here. And with the microclimates and the way that our property is, we actually have a range of zones um, that we can grow in. So we, you know, have been very fortunate that way. People complain about the rocks or the clay or whatever, but we've actually found that it's it's working out quite well. Um, so awesome. we, we've liked that. But yeah, we were in Nebraska and, you know, it was not uncommon. You know, we're snowing in Memorial Day in the beginning of June. And I'm really glad that that is not the case anymore, <laughs> anymore <laughs> at all. We only have a very, very brief winter, and I'm not upset about it. Um, so, <clears throat> I will say, you mentioned greenhouses. So, are you able to use a greenhouse that you would say, you know, a lot of people, there's an uptick in people buying from Amazon and things like that, or are you having to move towards, like, the grower's solutions? I bought a greenhouse off marketplace for 50 bucks. <laughs> you can't beat that. We have. Six by, was it six by eight or something like that? Um, I, re- I remember looking up the price and I think it was probably a thousand dollars brand new. And I was like, you are not worth that new. Um, <laughs> and, and so really it was just an opportunity to get something to do an experiment. And the experiment was hugely successful. And so we do plan to put up another one. But again, with the ponderosa pine trees and the the winter climate, you know, it extends our growing season, but we also live in fear of the poor thing getting damaged by a tree limb coming down because we're also quite windy. Yeah. But, you know, we have limited areas of sun and where there is sun with no trees is usually where there's, oh, what's the way to say it? things that function for the house, like a septic system. So Mm -hmm. you want to put the greenhouse on a septic system in case you have to tear it up, you know, those kinds of things. So I think that's, that's one of the things to think about also, um, in addition to space, like you mentioned earlier, there's certain areas where you may have to put something that's mobile and you have to be really creative where you put things so you don't have to play the moving game because small acreage means the moving game. And, and I can give an example of that. We plan to cut some trees down. I had an 800-pound uh, bale of alfalfa hay on a trailer next to my livestock trailer. And now that we're planning to cut the trees down, the trailer with the hay was in the way of where the trees are going to fall. Of course. So I had 500 pounds left of that hay, and guess what? We had to take 500 pounds off the trailer in pieces (laughs) move it over into the livestock trailer so you're moving things around sometimes that you didn't plan on because you have small land and talking about having an 800 pound uh you know bale and stuff like that (laughs) because you have a small acreage you're not able to have the big hay fields which is something to consider with how many animals or what animals you have as you're aging. Because without equipment and stuff, it will be hard to manage moving things like that with that weight. 
Absolutely. We did it by hand. We flaked it off and did it by hand, but we do have a tractor. It's just where it was located and where it was going into because we don't have adequate storage right now. That was what created the challenge. One of our goals is to build one barn for the pigs. So that way we can enclose them in barns, but they still have access to water and food. Because anyone who's had pigs know that they, all they do is spill water. Um, and we have a really good setup for that where they don't do it. But our winter this year was so brutal that even they struggled a little with the climate compared to usual where they're fine. So do you want to share your water setup? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so so when you know when we don't when we're not dealing with ice, um, we try not to waste water because again, the drought plays a huge role in this, and water is a um, a very challenging resource here in South Dakota. Um, and so, if it's not raining and you're not getting a ton of snow, your well is not being replaced. So we try to be very respectful of our well because we're blessed to have one. So what that means is hauling water from outside. Uh, when we can to give our well a break and not being wasteful. So we use those plastic inserts that go in the tires for our pigs. And we find that the Cooney Cooney pigs do not tip them over. They try to lay in them, but that's why I give them pools in the summertime. So that way we can avoid that. It also uses less water and you can give them fresh water multiple times a day. In the winter time, we have a aluminum a uh, stock tank, a galvanized stock tank that goes between two fences. And so that way the boars are on one side, the sows are on the other, and there's one water heater in there and they are able to get to it. But we fill it up daily, you know, and that's 75 gallons of a shot. So, but it really works uh, for the most part for us. And so we're getting ready to switch back to our tire waters because we're almost done with ice on water. This is another thing that's going to factor in with the size of your homestead. We, too, have tire waters. They work great for goats, right? So we have also tried them for the pigs. Works great when they're super tiny, but these hogs are so large. I mean, they're in cattle panels, and they are, the boar and the um, sow and one of the barrows I have back there are almost as tall as these cattle panels, and they stand up. And, you know, they're at the top. Their feet are over it. I mean, they're very powerful. So if you don't have a lot of land, it's hard to manage something like that. Well, they just, the tires, it's nothing to them. As soon as they're, like, four months old, they're, like, chucking that bad boy across the thing. They have destroyed nipple waters. They have done everything. So we ended up, um, you know, theirs are essentially like little ponds because that's the only thing they can't literally ruin. And another thing you mentioned is water usage. And if, are you in a drought area and you're well running dry because the more animals you have or the larger animals you have, the more water requirements they have. And ours, I mean, just the pigs alone in the summertime, they'll go through easily maybe 60, 75 gallons of water. Mm-hmm. And that's just to drink. <laughs> and then they still have to, you know, they have to have wallows, the pools they're too big for. 
So I encourage everybody to think about all those things before you commit. Because yeah. the more pigs you have, or the more, um, I don't know, maybe you decide, oh, I have five acres and I want, and I do want to get cows and I don't care if I grain in hay all year. Well, you still got to count for that water. And a lot of people are off grid, which I know you're on grid, but when they're off grid, maybe they don't have a well and they're doing like rain catchment and then you hit a drought. Scary stuff. So we have to always watch that. We, you know, I think a lot of us take water for granted. And, and what I, I mean by that is when you're pumping water from your hose, it's one thing. You don't have a visual of how much you're using. When I go to town and I pick up, we have, we have two large tanks and we usually fill them here by going into, we have access to a private well, we have access also to a town well. When I picked up a hundred gallons of water yesterday and we tilled our gardens and we got some potatoes planted and we gave everything a really good wet down to soak it, we were done with a hundred gallons. And if you saw what I watered, you'd be blown away because it didn't, it went quick. So when you see it, it's a lot different than when you're just using it from your house or you're carrying buckets all winter long. We carry buckets 365 days a year for years Ooh. now. Ooh. The garden is all by buckets. Every animal is by buckets. And when I say that, a lot of people who listen or know, they know I have some physical ailments. I have to yep. carry one five-gallon bucket at a time all over the place my best upgrade was getting three five-gallon containers and they fit in a little gorilla style cart and I can walk really slowly so they don't splash everywhere and go station to station this year thanks to some dear friends they have, because we were waiting to how we're going to hook up the PVC, because once you hook up the PVC to your tanks, it's a big ordeal to kind of redo those. But fortunately, we had some friends who found an easier way, a way that it's no problem to switch it and shift it and change it and whatever. And we're going to go that way. And so I will have a hose for the first time since 2019. <laughs> so that's going to be exciting. Um... But when we have our tanks, you know, we know exactly how much water everybody gets every single day. We know exactly what we need. And, you know, then we haven't had as much rain. I know we're going to drought hard this year because we should have been like, this is like our quote unquote monsoon season. And it's mm -hmm. too dry, even though we're getting rain. So it's just, it's going to be difficult. So, you know, the fire department, I've talked to them and they'll be coming out and they're going to fill all of our tanks and stuff. And it's just when people just let their stuff run or they're taking like half an hour showers and they're doing all this stuff. I tell them, I said, you know, be off grid, do this, do this type of lifestyle and think about how much water you're using. The joke is, oh, well, I put the hose in and I'm filling up my water troughs and I forgot to shut the hose off again. Yeah. If I forgot to shut the hose off. It, it could mean that we're out of a day's water or we can't cook or we can't take a shower or something. I mean, it is. Yep. So that being mindful, I mean, that's a huge, huge thing. So you're on grid. So and you live in a standard, normal house. 
So with that, what do you think is the advantage when you have a small homestead like that? What would be the advantage of being on grid? And what do you think would be your biggest struggle if you went off grid? Oh, let's see. I mean, I feel that having being on grid has a lot of advantages for us. First of all, it's what we want. Um, it makes life easier and at our age because we have figured out that for the cost of solar panels at this point in our lives, we probably wouldn't see the return on it. Um, however, we're also not naive in the sense that we have several backup plans um, because we know that we have to. And so one of the advantages, and you're gonna laugh at it, is I this house came with a uninsulated wood room on the back. And one of my pigs was under 50 pounds and at risk of hypothermia. I had an area to put him in the wintertime. I know that sounds silly, but... That's huge. That is a huge thing. Well, yeah, because here's the thing. With livestock, especially in a cold climate, if you bring them in a warm house, you can't just bring them right back outside. Because now they've acclimated to the warm weather. They can go under stress and become unhealthy. And so... One of the things that we did was I put him in the uninsulated room because it was still 14 degrees in that room, but he could handle 14 degrees versus minus 50 with the wind chill. Um, so he was in our house three or four times this winter. Um, and I think the other advantage is for us is like I talked about aging, which is something we all have to look at. I feel that our property is manageable. Our home is one floor, so it's set up for us. Um, because we've often talked about doing a tiny home, but I think just our setup and all the work that we've done at this point gives us an advantage because we have an infrastructure in place. Um, it's just, I have no desire to go off grid and I know that's not a popular opinion and there's (laughs) nothing wrong with it. No, I'm, I like the comfort of my home. Now, if I had a tiny home, I'd probably still have power to it, but I, I like the comfort of my home. We work our butts off and we do all the things that we like to do. And at the end of the day, we can sit and spend time together. Um, and I, I think, I hope that answered your question. Yes. And you know, it's funny you said, I know that's, you know, not a popular opinion and you know what? You are surely right, because off-grid is very romanticized right now. Um, there's some people, maybe they live in California or New York or, you know, something like that, where the property is so expensive that when they move to the Midwest, they've got a good bit of change jingling around. And so they're going all in and they're quote-unquote glamping you know they've got the solar they've got backup generators they've got all the stuff and everything is top notch well that's because of you know where they came but if you're from the midwest and you're already 
you know, at these wages and at this market, when you're trying to move over, you might not have the same ability and it might be, you know, did you save? Did you not save? So there's different levels with off-grid. I think people sometimes want to misconstrue that meaning, which technically just means you're not on the electrical grid. Technically. Um, But I think too often, half the population associates it with being in a covered wagon like Laura Ingalls. And the other part just, I mean, think it's like some you know, type of like sleeper camp. They, you know, you don't have anything. You're just out there, you know, essentially half homeless. And that's not the case either. Off-grid can mean a lot of things. We have a generator. We do not have solar. Um, We do not have a well. Uh, We do not have a septic. Mm -hmm. And so some people, that's a deal breaker. We do compost toilet. Some people would rather die. Um, We do... We have rain catchment. Fire department brings in water. Do we want a well? Yes. Do we um, own our land free and clear? No. We have payments that we have to make. And wells are expensive. And that's a significant, you know, investment. And where are you going to put it? And we're not sure what we're doing on that. And that's okay for everyone listening. Like, whatever you're going to do. We choose not to run our generator all the time. We just go without. People are like mind blown that we have a fridge, we have a freezer, we have all these things, but they're not running 24 seven. And I think that it's a, you need to do your research in advance to figure out what's going to work best for you. I agree. And if I could just add, I know I've been talking about the aging thing and I'm sorry because it's been, it's, I got knocked over by my, one of my boars last January. It was a year ago, actually. You know, and my husband at the time was very sick with, you know, the stuff going around. And mm-hmm. um, here he is in bed with a fever, not doing well. I'm out feeding animals. I get knocked over. We have a very rocky soil. When I came to, I realized, like, it's a wonder I didn't slam my head on a rock. Um, and I had to get stitches, but I had to feed animals first. You know, Mm -hmm. and it was a very eye-opening experience for me. So it's always been about how can we live, I'm trying to think of the word, how can we live in a way that we are working smarter, not harder at this point in our lives? Right. So when I saw my husband cutting wood here, because all we have access to is pine trees, which if you've ever burned pine trees are a nightmare to burn on a wood stove. Um, I'm watching him cut wood after he's worked all week and, you know, we're getting older and we're doing all this with wood. We heat our home from October to last year was mid June. So that's a lot of wood. Yeah. And, you know, that's why off grid wouldn't work for us. And, And that's because we like the comfort of having a pellet stove. We throw it in. It's a lot easier to manage. We get several pallets for the year. We keep them in the garage and it's just easier. So I think we're just at the point in our lives that we really want to sit back and enjoy things. We still do the hard work, but it's equally as important to just sit back and enjoy what you're doing. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm actually glad that you've made so many comments about aging because 
there a lot of people who have started or finally getting to live out that dream they're late 50s 60s -hmm. i mean there's a few ladies who are just starting out and they're active and everything at 70 years old they're still doing it you know so our neighbors uh, i think she just turned 65 and stuff and they both have disabilities um another neighbor she's early 50s and she's got medical condition and some disabilities and stuff and they're plugging away and they actually are living also on generators and rain catchment and all that stuff whereas you know you're like oh i don't know if that's for me and i think that it's important to realize both are fine it's whatever you are comfortable with but for me i would have probably had everything done minus purely financial if I, you know, we're just pacing ourselves, we do the things ourselves. Um, you know, I don't have a contractor coming in, you know, I put up all of these walls and actually I put up all these walls by myself, except for like two or three sheets. Um, yes. yeah, so all this stuff. So, you know, there's a great pride in that, but also if I would have had the money, I maybe would have hired a drywall guy, you know, drywall sucks. I n- never want to do that again. <laughs> You know, or maybe I would have hired, you know, somebody to to come in and, and lay floor down. Or I would have had, you know, somebody come and put up solar panels. And, you know, I would have had, maybe I had a well already. But, you know, we make it work and it's fine and it's home and we don't have any problems with that. But also, we are, you know, decades apart, age-wise. So, so that helps. But, um on-grid or off-grid for us is not financial, which a lot of people it is financial. For us, it was really about the the footprint. We're really trying to move towards focusing on that earth care, that, you know, the whole permaculture deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think sometimes it's a struggle because we're like, oh, it'd be so much easier if we could just plug this in. It'd be so much easier if I could just do this but we'll get there this year we will have solar thank god and then it won't be you know won't be a huge thing um fortunately we have a community of people who are doing things but yes it just takes time and you know i i am glad to hear that it's not just a blind we're on grid thing you know that you're aware of the situation and you have backups uh, because probably going to need those. Um, and so fortunately you have those and you mentioned about, you know, you had to bring him in. Well, we don't have a wood stove and actually we only had a part time, uh, that we had the propane even. So, and our first, that was just, that's recent as of like the beginning of the last winter. So we went two of them with no heat. Um, and so whatever it was outside, it was inside, but a lot of times it was colder inside because out, it took too long for the sun, the short amount of time it was up to heat the inside compared to the outside. So we use, you know, heated blankets on the little battery things or, um, you know, layer up. And so now we're super acclimated, you know, lots of people will be like, it's freezing. I'm like, we're feel this feels great. Um, you know, so that's fine. But if there was something with the animals, you know, that's why it's important for us to have, you know, we do the heritage breeds or try to have stuff hardy. We don't, um, quote unquote baby anything. 
because they won't survive here. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for us, the stock that we have is super hardy, does excellent. The offspring that they have provided has been even hardier. And when we were looking for livestock, we were looking for people who were raising them the way that we were going to raise them. And I encourage everyone to do that. Buy livestock from people who align with your beliefs and what you're doing. So, but yes, that was a little bit, you know, chaotic and difficult, which we will have a, uh, heating system for this coming winter. So I was like, this is going to be the year of living in the Taj Mahal. I'm going to have <laughs> heat and air and power. My goodness. It's like Christmas. Um, so do you have, and now we'll leave that somber topic, I guess. Do you have any, um, you know, you're working there full time and he's still working. Are you trying to like do a pork business or do you have a homestead business? Are you hoping that he will be able to retire early or what's all that look like? Kind of all of the above. Um, so we're, right now, you know, we do do YouTube. We have a YouTube channel and that is like a little side hustle, so to speak. Um, and we try to point out the realities of, obviously efficient use of land um very much the topics that most people don't talk about um you know for example we share reality and one of the realities we came across last year which was not often talked about and still isn't is scrotal hernias and piglets when you go to castrate them um and so we share that there we also uh raise our own meat for ourselves and We've considered raising to create a business, um, but I think we're not going to head in that direction. We're going to continue with our own consumption and for our friends. And then we have our Cooney Cooney pigs, which now half the herd is registered, half are not. And so we're trying to switch to a registered herd. But right now what we do sell is the piglets when we breed them every year. And is that, is that something that is extremely popular or you know do you have any issues selling those i i worried about that last year however we did sell them all last year um and it was great because it helped the pigs to pay for themselves in hay and feed and that was good and so that's why moving towards registered pigs would be even more helpful to us because the problem is is even though i say they're purebred and i know they're purebred uh, without a registration certificate, unfortunately, people get lied to out there. And so it's hard for them to believe me when they don't know me. Right. Uh, because sadly, so many people say, oh, they message me and say, I'm getting a Cooney Cooney pig. And I look right at the pig and it's a pot belly pig. Which is, so, that happens a lot. <laughs> right, right. And, and then it's just a sad situation, and I hate the fact that people are deceptive or don't know what they have when they represent it, but, you know, I want to be able to assure people and give them the peace of mind when they don't know who I am that I have crude red pigs. So, our, ours are not um, registered, but thankfully... You can uh, clearly tell, you know, what they are. And it's not as common for them to be all mixed up. I mean, the Coonies, 
people will try to pass off a potbelly cross or potbellies like nobody's business around here. And you, know, you can tell it right away when you yes. look at them. That's the other part, too, is people need to take the responsibility and research and also look at the breed to know what they're getting versus impulsively taking something because it's free or it's cheap or it's a good deal, you know? Yeah, I agree. And a lot of times that is what happens. Oh, I got a great deal. And I'm like, yeah, you got a great deal on a pig that is not even really worth eating. <laughs> so what I I think um, the selling piglets is a lot of times what people are going to, raising them out and trying to sell the meat, especially when it's, you know, 18 to 24 month grow out on, you know, some of the Cooney or American guinea hogs is problematic on such a small acreage when you're, if you're wanting to turn like the huge profits. We cleaned for a lady and they had Cooney Cooney and American guinea hog as well as cross. They had bought this pig farm over and it was extensive. I mean, it was like three, 400 head, I think. But they were there for, like, ever. And because she had so many, so that she could process so many at the same time, the land was in rough shape. Because even though she had a lot of land, they were there for so long that she was having trouble, you know, keeping it healthy. And so it was just too many for what she had going on. In her case, it probably would have been better for her to raise just the... A, a little faster growing cross so that the and about half the numbers so the land could rejuvenate itself exactly exactly and so it's funny i have a funny story for you if, if you don't mind me sharing sure um so norman is the little pig that i told you that had to come in the house and so unfortunately given some of the issues we had with a litter with the hernia situation we did lose a couple piglets and Norman ended up by himself. We had inten originally intended, as a part of our several-year pork production plan, we were going to raise two Cooney Coonies for me. So Norman was going to be, and, and another one were going to be our first Cooney Cooney pigs raised. Well, then Norman ends up alone. And then we get the coldest winter we've seen here. And it was record-breaking on so many levels. And Norman had to come in the house. So P.S. Norman is now a pet. Yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Norman is now a pet. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm able to compartmentalize things, but we really saw his personality when we had to bring him in that wood room, and my husband and I decided that life is too short. I'm going to have a pet pig. So, <laughs> so this year's litters will hopefully have two or three pigs because we are out of pork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's... They're like, well, we don't eat goat. To me, they're like my little, like, they're like my horizontal-eyed dogs. <laughs> and dairy. Like, I cannot wrap my brain around eating them. Even though I know they're one of the most popular meats worldwide. Um, but then there's some people where we eat rabbit. And some people are like, how could you? So, you know, everybody has their thing, but the goats are definitely pets. They just happen to be pets that we milk. <laughs> so that that's about it. And he happens to just be a pet that mows the lawn. 
<laughs> you know, so they're they're doing their best. <laughs> so, right. do you have any domestic pets, and how do you manage their space? <laughs> um, glad I just told you the story about Norman. Uh, Norman, could, I wanted Norman to be a house pig. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen because we do have a domestic dog. We have a an old English bulldog who's going to be nine this year, Diesel. Uh, and he was an owner's surrender that we took on. And I absolutely love him, but he will. he was too possessive having Norman in the house. And it's ironic because he'll run on that chicken coop and not bother them at all. So... He was not thrilled with having Norman in the house. He knew that Norman was going to slowly seep into his world way farther than those chickens. He he totally did. And, you know, Old English Bulldogs, um, in fact, we were named Yogi Hollow Farm because Yogi was also an owner surrender that we adopted. And he was an Old English Bulldog. And he lived with us. And, man, he was, gosh, almost 15 years old when he passed, which is old for a Bulldog. Yeah. And he was just uh, life-changing having that dog. So that's why we named our homestead what it is. But, uh, yeah, Diesel is too possessive of his dad to even allow a pig in the house. <laughs> well, so that's not happening. <laughs> well, and he can go into the chicken coop and stuff. So now, did you have to have, like, a, a yard for him that takes out of that, you know, acreage, too? Or is he kind of just like, whatever, and he just goes wherever they go? Now, he's he's a, a dog that has to be on a leash because he'll chase uh, deer and so on, and then he gets going. Um, and then he can't get back because he's typical bulldog with hip issues. So we, you know, bulldogs are lazy, so we take him out on a leash. The only time we take him out off leash is in the wintertime when there's snow piles and it's cold because he'll play with his ball and he won't go far. Um, <laughs> otherwise, he's leashed. Um but, you know, like I said, I mean, he's, he's come out with me before we decided he needed to be on a leash all the time. And he just chases the chickens because he's curious, but he never, never bothers them. You know, so for us, we have cats, dogs, and a lot of both. Um, <laughs> but three of our dogs are, the cats do whatever. They go wherever. They don't know any type of boundary. But the dogs... There's three of them that are not quote unquote working and we will have to do some type of a yard right now. I watch, um, the land needs some work and stuff. You know, we had a pin, but two of them can climb, dig, jump out of everything. So we got to figure that out, but they will have to have some space and because they have to have some space that is going to be space that cannot allocate somewhere else so if someone listening has pets that will need their own yard or they have kids that need play equipment or things like that keep that in mind when you're trying to plan out your zones and how much space you really have to dedicate to livestock and things like that i won't say growing because you can I mean, even on a sixth of an acre, I mean, you can turn over profit, fill your fridges, freezers, cabinets. I mean, you can stick plants anywhere, but the livestock is is really what's going to start paring down 
someone's land, especially if you only get half an acre or you only get an acre. Right. So, before we close, what are your top three tips to manage and maximize production in a smaller space? Top three tips. Um, I'm going to say research. You need to research. It, you cannot impulsively buy anything. You need to research so you know what you need, what the animal needs to be healthy. Do you have vets in the area? Do you have enough space? Uh, just because I can fit a cow and feed hay all year round, that doesn't mean it's an appropriate fit for our small land. So research, 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 and learn the terminology when you research. Uh, for example, sometimes you can look up pros and cons of things, but if you don't know the right terminology for something, example, the issue we had with scrotal hernias, if you don't look for that specific term, it's hard to find anything. So make sure you're doing research. Um, give thought to your plan and what's going to fit in your lifestyle. Make sure that you, you know, like milking. Milking is a commitment. It's a lot different than having chickens. You know, we tend to automate most of our chores. And, and what I mean by that is... You know, the chickens are free fed. They have a feeder that is filled with a 50 pound bag of feed. So as long as they have water, they're good to go. The pigs, however, they require more attention. And in the summertime, they require even more attention. So make sure you're choosing things that fit in your lifestyle. Um, third, I would say, do it right. Do it right. Um, and what I mean by that is make sure that just because you're getting animals in a, on small land, you're building adequate housing for them. Um, don't just slap something together and call it good. You can even use, I've used pallets. I've used, we built an entire, uh, what was originally a duck house, which ended up becoming a pig shelter for free, but it wasn't just pallets thrown together. We made a sturdy barn that we were able to get in and clean. Your animals are happier and less stressed if they have adequate housing and areas to be in. I think that is just so important. Um, and I know that I'm gonna give a fourth tip. <laughs> <laughs> be creative, be creative in your land. If you're doing all the other things that I mentioned, you be creative in your land in that look for the dead space, the dead space that is, for example, we had barns of a feed barn next to uh, a turkey house, turkey coop. And what we did was we had put ducks in there. It shaded them from the sun. It shaded them, uh, put them under trees from predators because we had predator issues. Eventually we decided ducks weren't for us, but we had that area down pat and it was a dead space that wasn't being used. And I think that's really important. Wow. Now I got to know why was my favorite homestead animal not for you? Well, you heard about my climate. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a lot of water in the wintertime. Oh, that's true. And but there's no, no way to keep a pool unfrozen. That's and, true. And our, our ducks do not get a pool in the wintertime. Um, yeah. yeah, since they only need to dip their, you know, their bill and their little nostrils, they actually get a rubber bowl like everybody else during the wintertime. We only do pools in the summer, but, oh, I love my ducks. I surely <laughs> well, hate breaking water for sure, but I don't, yeah, they, they're SOL, um, in, in the wintertime when it's nice day, um, we will do one of the pools so that they can take a bath real quick. Um, and they're actually going to have a pond eventually here when the land work's done. But for now, yeah, they kind of, they kind of hate us a little bit in the, in the wintertime, I'm sure. Yeah, but we, we had, we had, uh, five of them to start with and we specifically had some females in there, but unfortunately three of them were uh, taken by a predator and we ended up with two drakes and quite honestly two drakes was not going to be beneficial to us no <laughs> and we decided that we did not want two drakes as pets we are fortunate in that we do have the livestock dogs um so you know the birds and well really all the animals especially the birds though uh you know they're out there willy-nilly they're out there running yeah. around, escaping enclosures, not caring, being reckless. And they just know that the dogs aren't going to let them die. <laughs> so, right, right. you know, but that's another thing, though, too, is when you have such a small acreage, you might not have as many animals. And so then livestock dogs might not make sense. And then you have to manage all those predators yourself. Um, right. So something else to consider. So talk to us about your social media. You said you do things that are unique. Uh, do you want to explain where we can find you? Do you have a posting schedule? Yep. So uh, our channel is Yogi Hollow Farm. And uh, we share all the things on our journey since we've started. I think we started the channel in October of 2020. So we had already had the dozen chickens. Um and then we've moved forward since from there and share, you know, like I said, the, the good, the bad, the reality of things. Um, I joke all the time because I, you know, some people say they're reluctant gardeners. <laughs> I don't like gardening at all. Uh, it's not for me, but I do like to grow food. So I will often share my, um, look, I grew seedlings or I don't have much hope for this. <laughs> you know? um, I do, don't look for passionate gardening from me. Um, and I think the, the other thing is, you know, we will share efficient use of land for the homesteading because we try to do everything cheap, but we try to make it functional and strong and that it'll last and it looks decent, um, versus, you know, looking like we're still in the dumpster pile and that's how mine looks, that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we use things like conveyor belts on the bottom of buildings and stuff like that. And so, you know, and we're growing and, and, and so on. And then, um, so we have the channel. I also do a lot of freeze drying on my channel because we do have a freeze dryer. Um, and that's an important part of living rurally and being prepared is stocking up. I'm not going to give you a pantry tour, um, but I'll definitely share some great ideas for meals in a jar and stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing is we also have Instagram. 
and right now I'm doing hashtag May Homesteading Challenge. Not sure when this will air, but I'd like to throw that out there. Uh, something that's really cool to check out because I find the community on Instagram to be extremely supportive. In fact, that's how I found my pig mentor in Texas, the two of them who have helped me so much. Um, and that's also Yogi Hollow Farm. And then we do have Facebook. It's more a business page, but I will be honest. I don't uh, do a lot there, but I do post there. So if you're interested, there's some great places to find us. So what is the May challenge? The May Homesteading Challenge is a series of prompts, and it's all about connecting homesteaders to homesteaders, learning more about each other, learning more about um, what people are doing and sharing ideas. So, for example, uh, today's first prompt was, you know, are you tell us more about your homestead. And so everybody's doing introductions. They're posting biweekly on Instagram, and it's co-hosted by uh, myself, Five Dog Farm, Rustic Sodak Farm, and Heartland Homestead. And, you know, today's was introduce yourself. Uh, are you urban suburban? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Do you have some animals and so on? And then we'll go through the, the prompts for the month of May and talk about what's your best uh, homestead hustle? You know, what kind of businesses have you started? Or what's your best way to get thrifty items? So it's really a, it's really a great way to connect with people. I connected with so many like-minded people last year and they become really good friends. And that's just for Instagram? That is just for Instagram. Yep. Well, I suppose today's May 1st and good day is any. So I will join in on the fun, the challenge. I encourage everybody listening. If you have Instagram to join in and that's fun. So join yeah, in, do those things. Jump over to their YouTube, subscribe, like, watch some of those videos. Plus, the watch hours never hurt. And you'll be able to see probably these pigs and the pet pig. Oh, <laughs> Maybe. tons of Norman on <laughs> Yes. And so hopefully everybody will go over there and check it out. I will have links in the description box of this video. I will also have links in the post that will be in the Facebook group homestead happenings with vb podcast and we stopped doing the instagram and the facebook specific page for the podcast temporarily because of a i'm not sure if it was spam or hacking or exactly what happened with that so those are that's why they have been being posted on but facebook has been current on the group as well as in Spotify, and if you're subscribed on Spotify and iTunes, Pandora, Stitcher, Amazon Audible, Amazon Music, and more, you will still be able to get all these updates, so don't worry about that. Even though she is not an avid gardener, if you want to try your hand at gardening, you can jump on to Mary's Heirloom Seeds and save 10% off of your order of $20 or more, and you can use our code DREAMWEAVERS to get that. I will have a link to that in the description. Every time you use our link, you help the podcast, but your shopping experience stays the same. And she has a bunch of great stuff coming up. So on that note, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Yes, it was a wonderful conversation. I, we're 
you know, hour and 15 minutes. And I said, where did the time go? I told you this was going to be quick. We'd be, nope. We just started <laughs> chatting, chatting, chatting. So. I agree. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Yes. So on that note for everybody listening, let's learn, let's grow, let's go.